Have you ever wondered why we are so divided as women today? There are mom wars with different women setting up camp on different sides of every issue. Everything from how you school your kids to how your kids sleep. And then there are arguments between women who work and women who stay at home with their kids. And that's not even scratching the surface of division within our political system as women, especially those of us living in America, or issues that are dividing us within our church. A quick look at everything from headlines to Instagram stories is a daily reminder of the division that many of us are seeing in our daily lives as Catholic women. And then there's feminism, but it doesn't seem to be uniting us by addressing core problems that we're all facing as women. In my experience, even conversations about the topic of what feminism is and what feminism isn't can be divisive. Maybe you feel that being a woman today comes with some unrealistic expectations and a side of shame for not doing it all not being enough, or not having it all together perfectly. You're worried you're not measuring up, and those worries are only enforced each time you compare yourself to your sister, your best friend, the mom from your small group, the women you sit behind in church, your neighbor, or the gal you follow on Instagram who you've never even met. Hey, welcome to Letters to Women. It's a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our daily lives as Catholic women. And it's also a space to celebrate the ordinary stories of women living in today's world. I'm Chloe Langer, and in today's episode, I'm sitting down with Leah Jacobson. Ten years ago, Leah founded the Guiding Star Project, care centers that you can find around the nation that empower women to understand and embrace and love their natural bodies. Today, it's her goal to spread the word about holistic feminism, a principle that has been at the heart of the Guiding Star Project for the past decade. Leah writes about how the American women's movements have defined success in a way that keep us always striving but never fully arriving at a goal. So today we are having a conversation about the history of different waves of feminism here in the U.S., the good and the bad of those results of those waves of feminism, and how realizing and appreciating our distinctly female abilities to ovulate, gestate, and lactate can actually help us understand what holistic feminism looks like in today's world and provide the key answers to those struggling with expectations, comparisons, and frankly, exhaustion in our lives as women. If your health is taking a backseat to all those things on your to-do list, if your relationships are strained to the max, and if you're struggling to overcome guilt or shame or fear, sister, this letter is for you. Today, I am welcoming Leah Jacobson to the podcast. Leah is the founder of the Guiding Star Project, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. She's a former campus minister turned international board certified lactation consultant who's worked with thousands of young people and mothers since 2000. Amidst growing her family and welcoming seven children, she's received her master's degree in health and wellness and has spoken internationally on issues pertaining to women's health care. Leah, welcome to Letters to Women. It's so good to meet you and to get to host you on the show. Thank you so much, Chloe, for having me. I'm just so thrilled to to be on your show. I love this topic. I love this this whole theme. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. So in today's episode, we're going to be taking a look at what the feminist movement has looked like in all of its different waves and forms and why getting back to the roots of simplicity in feminism can truly help us prioritize our physical, our mental, and spiritual health as women. But first, to start us off, and especially those who are meeting you for the first time here in this conversation, Leah, can you tell me a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Yeah, I'd love to. That's always fun. I'm a cradle Catholic. I was raised in a, you know, a pretty pretty normal, you know, Catholic home doing the the bare minimum of Catholic things, <laughs> you know, going to church on Sunday and holy days of obligation and growing up in my faith and going to a Catholic school as an elementary, you know, school kid, I learned 
about the church, you know, through catechesis, like most of us did in that time range, you know, the, roughly the 80s and the 90s. I learned, you know, the beauty of the church and the teachings of the church in, in my family attending mass and living out our faith. But I didn't learn a lot about the church's teaching on sexuality and women, you know, from the church. I, I saw really great examples in my life of my mom and my aunts and women around me. But John Paul II, it was when I really discovered his writings in Theology of the Body and his letter to women, that that is what really sparked in me. You know, something came alive and I knew there was some truth being spoken to me about who I was uniquely created to be as a woman um, and as a Catholic woman in particular. When I read in, it was roughly the year 2003 or 2004, I read Evangelium Vitae and there's a line in there from John Paul II where he says, you know, women of the church, it's up to you to promote a new feminism. And I felt like he was talking directly to me at that moment. Like I felt like it was like, come on, here's what I need you to do. Like promote a new feminism. And at that moment in time, like I kind of had a small obsession form with feminism. Like what does it mean to be a new feminist? What does new feminism look like? Like what is old feminism? <laughs> so that kind of really sparked my journey, you know, just right at the end of my college age years and into my marriage um, and my work as a campus minister and really embracing and understanding theology of the body and the beauty of the female body and the complementarity of man and woman and what it means to be a new feminist. So to be able to go into that journey, knowing that there is this call to new feminism and then through that lens, looking backward at all the waves of feminism that have come up until this point is a really neat way to be able to view what has come and what, what has been been the reality of feminism for decades and to be able to see kind of this ideal of what feminism should be in light of the gospel. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me growing up when I, I grew up, I was, you know, right at the start of the third wave of the feminist movement. And you don't, you don't know that you're like in a movement, like you don't understand that there's like a very specific ideology and worldview that's being pushed all around you as a child. It's just, it's just TV. It's just the media. It's just movies and the news. And, and you don't really understand that there is definitely a specific rhetoric and a specific belief that's being pushed through all of all of media. You just grow up in it. You're just kind of, you know, marinating in this flavor of <laughs> what it means to be a woman. And I, I always sensed that it was just, you know, something was not right with it and something was false and it wasn't a full representation of women. Because like I said, I, I had different examples of women in my life growing up. And it was, wasn't until I really became, you know, a mom. When I became a mother, like all of a sudden, I was able to see much more clearly, you know, the scales kind of fall away from your eyes and you can see that's just a, a downright lie. <laughs> that's just not true. Okay, so I first encountered your story and your journey with feminism through a book you just, just wrote called Holistic Feminism, Healing the Identity Crisis Caused by the Women's Movement. And it's published by Lumen Press and Media. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired this book and then what women will find when they crack open the cover? It, the story really is me as a mom and working in campus ministry, um, seeing how much how much young women are lied to and how much the average young woman doesn't know about her own goodness and her own beauty. And at the same time that I was learning, you know, John Paul II's teachings on theology of the body, and I'm getting married and I'm getting pregnant, having my first baby and, you know, learning and embracing my fertility and my female body and my motherhood, I'm working with young women every single day who doubt their body's goodness, who doubt the creator that made them. They don't think he got it right. They think something is wrong there. It just all kind of culminated in me taking action. You know, when I left campus ministry, I actually, I didn't write a book first. <laughs> I actually went back and got my master's degree in women's health and wellness. And I wanted to do something that would build up life, a culture of life, a culture of just appreciation for 
fertility and life and in, in children. And, and I, at first I thought I was going to be a, a, a midwife. I thought, Lord, I'm going to be a pro-life midwife <laughs> and, you know, applied and went back to applied to go back for um, a nursing degree and was accepted. And a few weeks before I was set to start school, I actually went to an adoration chapel and kind of for the first time asked God's blessing on my, my plans. I'd put them all in place. <laughs> I was like, I had two little children and I'm like, I'm going back to school, Lord. And in adoration one night, God just gently but firmly told me no. He said, that's, you know, that's the only time I've actually audibly ever heard a response in prayer was in that adoration chapel in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, St. Mary's Star of the Sea was the name of this little adoration chapel. And I was all by myself. And I'm telling God, I'm getting ready to go back to school. Please bless me. And I heard the word no. And I I looked all around me and it was a moment of, whoa, like I was startled because I actually thought somebody was in the room with me. And then I reminded myself, of course, somebody's in the room with me. <laughs> like the creator of all mankind in the universe is in the room with you. And he's saying no. So you better stop and listen. And at that moment, then I just surrendered kind of my future and my, what I thought my dreams were, what I thought my desires were and said, okay, Lord, if not this, then what? And it was about a three hour, you know, time with Jesus in the chapel that night where I pulled out my prayer journal and I just let him talk to me. And this vision really for um, a nonprofit, well, it wasn't a nonprofit. It wasn't any of that at the beginning. At the beginning, all I knew was that I was supposed to do something to help young women understand, embrace, and love their natural bodies um, and to reclaim, you know, women's health care, like through the venue of women's health care to tell tr women the truth about themselves. Uh, and that eventually over time, I didn't understand. Like I said, at the moment, I had no idea I was about to form a nonprofit. And I had no idea that that nonprofit was going to go beyond Duluth, Minnesota and be a national nonprofit. I had no idea it would be opening up centers in other states. I just knew that the Lord was asking me to use all this energy and enthusiasm that I had to tell women the truth about their bodies. And so I did go back and get a master's degree in health and wellness with a focus on lactation consulting. And it was in writing that master's thesis in 2012 that really the outline and kind of the whole idea for holistic feminism, the book was basically written in 2012. But instead of publishing a book first, what I did was found a nonprofit. And so we got to work on it. We started opening up Guiding Star Centers around the country. And now here we are, you know, 10 years later, I realized we never wrote that down. <laughs> like we never wrote down our worldview. <laughs> like we should probably back up and explain why it is, you know, that we do what we do in our centers and really articulate what our worldview of women's health care is and what our worldview of what feminism should be is because it's very different than everything else that's being presented to women under the title of women's health care or the women's movement. Um, we're completely different. And so finally, after 10 years, we got our worldview on paper in the book, Holistic Feminism. <laughs> a little late, but it's here. No, sometimes you just have to live it before you write it down. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing I can say, we have lived it and it's, it's a really joyful way to approach life. When you really teach women to love and appreciate their bodies, you see them come alive. Like there's so much wholeness and happiness. So it works. I love too this reclaiming of the word feminism because feminism is such a loaded word. It is such a loaded concept and it comes with centuries of history. So before we talk a little bit more about holistic feminism and what that means for Catholic women today, could you kind of turn the clock back a little bit and give us a basic understanding of the feminist movement, the different waves of the feminist movement, especially I think for women who are listening in the United States? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good point, though, actually, that you differentiate between the United States and, you know, England and different parts of Europe, because our women's movements are 
they are different on different timelines. Um, and so in the United States, our women's movement, our feminist movement, um, really began in the late, the mid to late 1800s. And this is kind of the proto-feminist. This is even a little bit before the first wave of the feminist movement. Uh, and they were, uh, the Seneca Falls Convention happened. Women were just coming together to kind of articulate this second-class citizenship that they were experiencing. And it, it evolved and grew into what we would call the first wave of the feminist movement, which was really focused on issues of suffrage um, and also abolitionism. So the women in this movement were overwhelmingly um, opposed to, um, well, slavery, and then prohibitionism, alcohol. <laughs> so a lot of them were very strong prohibitionists. And then, um, of course, the right to vote, uh, the, the suffrage. So they were kind of a three-pronged, you know, three main issues they were really involved with. Um, and for different reasons, you know, the, the reason they were opposed to slavery is because they said, you know, black people are also treated as second class citizens, just like we are. We're second class citizens. Um, they were opposed to alcohol and, you know, promoted prohibition because they felt that many women were experiencing abuse at the hands of their alcoholic husbands and that alcohol was promoting licentiousness and just terrible behavior towards women. And then, of course, uh, suffrage, the right to vote, they said that's the ultimate kind of marker of our our second class position here is that we're not even allowed to vote. And so this movement, the first wave of the feminist movement is kind of traditionally, when you look at women's studies programs and historical uh, depictions of feminism, this movement kind of wrapped up right around 1920 with the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which did give us the right to vote. So first wave of the movement really, I mean, it, it did some serious things. <laughs> it really made some progress in, in many ways important to acknowledge and recognize, you know, why women started to be active together. Uh, now, the second wave of the feminist movement, and this is where it kind of gets a little bit controversial even, that, that they're even called part of the same movement, because the second wave of the feminist movement comes right after World War II, right in the post-World War II kind of very um, privileged America. <laughs> you know, things were really good, actually, in many ways. Um, men coming home from the war, the baby boom. Um, women were pushed, many women felt pushed into the home, you know, when the men came back from World War II. And so there was a sense of, you know, a little bit of discontent, maybe, that now the men were home and they took the jobs back at the factories and women were now in the home. And so we see the second wave of the feminist movement comes, it really is launched with um, a couple of major things. But there was a book written by a woman named Betty Friedan that really articulated the worldview of this movement. It was kind of the manifesto of this movement. And she referred to the home from American women as a comfortable concentration camp, that women in the home were miserable, they were prisoners, they hated it, they were dying slow deaths in these comfortable concentration camps of the home. <laughs> and so that's a pretty like loaded statement, right in post-World War II. And it really encouraged and pushed women to go outside the home, that you're not going to find any fulfillment in your family, in your home, in your children, you need to leave the home. And this movement ended up converging with the sexual revolution in the 60s, so second wave feminism and this push for careerism and getting outside the home and having an, a, a different identity besides wife and mother um, converged with the sexual revolution. And this is when we see something really kind of crazy and explosive happen, where now it's not only the home that is like oppressing you, but it's actually your fertility that's oppressing you. It's actually your pregnancy that's oppressing you because now not only are you not supposed to be in the home, you're also supposed to be sexually active and available, available to any man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, that's what's going to also bring you joy and happiness. And so... The second wave of the feminist movement really evolved from where it started to where it ended with the sexual revolution. Uh, and it required basically to, to meet the mark of success in that movement, 
you basically had to alter and suppress and destroy every function of a natural woman's body. Uh, and that's where it took a huge departure from the first wave of the feminist movement. The first wave of the feminist movement was absolutely um, opposed to abortion. It was opposed to artificial contraception, which did exist at the time. Uh, they had a very different uh, view of men and women and held men to a very high standard. They thought that men should be responsible with women for family planning. And that changed in the second wave of the feminist movement. And then the third wave started roughly the 80s, and that became a very academic movement. This is where we see the women's studies programs getting enshrined in our major universities. This is where um, we start to hear a lot about her story instead of history, instead of, you know, they're putting the women back into the history. And it's a very sort of theoretical and ideological where women belong in the story of humanity. And it becomes, um, like I was saying, a little bit ideological and, and utopian almost about this idea about what happens if there was no such thing as sex, if there was in terms of gender, in terms of are men and women different? Uh, no, we don't think there's any difference. Anything men can do, women can do, and anything women can do, men can do. And of course, that's a continuation off of the thinking from the second wave of feminism, where it's saying the body and its fertility and how it was naturally made is inconsequential. And so the third wave of the feminist movement, which we are we're just concluded with, it kind of just is ending, that really gave us what, what we now are, are living with, which is, you know, gender theory and gender ideology that your sex and your gender are not the same thing. So that's the third wave of the feminist movement. And now we're at a really exciting spot because it's the beginning of a new wave. It's the fourth wave. And there's a lot of possibility right now. <laughs> yeah, that is really exciting. I studied women's and gender studies in college as a at a very non-Catholic um, college. And so the experience was very much what you described in this third wave of feminism. So this is really beautiful and redeeming to look back at these different ways of feminism through a Catholic viewpoint. So thank you. And that just, I think, sets this conversation up perfectly and gives us a little bit of context for what is coming, what is coming and, and the consequences that we have from these waves of feminism, good and bad. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think context is so important for every young woman right now. And, you know, for me, like I said, you grow up in something and it's like the soup you're sitting in, you don't even realize what's being said to you. And so young people that are just beginning college right now need to understand you have grown up in the height of the third wave of feminism where gender theory has been absolutely pushed. It is an ideology that's been pushed so hard just understanding maybe where biases come from, understanding worldviews and how it differs from different generations, that's important to know. You know, I think for women living in today's world, I think there's this pressure, this expectation from from both our culture, but then ourselves, because like you said, we've been sitting in this and breathing this air for so long that we're, we're having these expectations for ourselves as well to quote unquote, do it all, to do it all, to do it all perfectly. And I think a lot of us are finding that we're stressed, we're anxious, we're not finding this joy that women one generation ago through this third wave of feminism have told us is going to be available when they encouraged us just be whatever you want to be. So when we're looking at these waves of feminism, what are some ways, I think you've spoken into this as you're explaining it, but what are things that have failed us as women um, and then, and are are there any things that we can take from this, especially from these second and third waves of feminism that kind of got hijacked by the sexual sexual revolution and then gender theory as an ideology, is there anything we can take and find the truth that's kind of been twisted up in there? Yeah, I think that what they were trying, what they were, what they were trying to give us was happiness and fulfillment and wholeness and integration. That was the promise. You know, when Betty Friedan was saying, you need to find creativity and you can't find that at the home. Um, well, that 
likely was true for her. You know, likely she was somebody that was meant to maybe have a, a career or maybe she was meant to be outside the home. But what happened in the second and third wave is that they kind of created a monolith of every woman has the same purpose. <laughs> every woman is going to find joy in this way. Every woman belongs here. And so we did ourselves a huge disservice as women when we started talking and acting that way. Like it's your responsibility as a woman to do X, Y, and Z. That has been a very strong pressure from the feminist movement for, you know, 40 to 50 years now that you owe it to other women to do this, you know, to get an education, to have a career, to do whatever. And we've, we failed to really respect and, and understand that we're each incredibly unique as women. We failed to create alternative spaces for women where we can be ourselves fully and authentically. So I think the promise that they had, you're going to be whole, you're going to be happy, you're going to be fulfilled, was great. But they had the wrong solution all day. <laughs> all day, it was the wrong solution. And we need to go back and say, okay, there were real issues for some women. Some women were discontent with the expectation to be home all the time. True. However, not all women were. And so we need to let the ones that feel great in this role at home, you know, maybe educating their children, caring for their home, you know, finding creative outlets through volunteering, whatever it is, that is legitimately good and beautiful. And there is nothing wrong with that. And for the woman who feels the desire to go out and, you know, start a nonprofit and speak internationally and do these different things, like that is also legitimately good and needed in society and, and really in the life of the church. Um, we have to be uniquely who, who we were created to be. The other thing that I think looking back on it, you know, that promise again of wholeness, happiness, it was said that we were going to find it in really in kind of a male normed way. I talk about this in the book. I call it the male normed world where we kind of bought the standard of success of, you know, having done X, Y, and Z, having certain letters behind your name. It's all very masculine and it's all very productivity driven. It's all very what are your awards? What are your achievements? You know, who you are, your identity is what you've done. And that's a very masculine, broken way of looking at humanity's value and dignity. And I think one of the special gifts that we have as women that we bring to the world and that we really need to infuse into the world and, and what John Paul II was saying, you need to embrace this new feminism. The following line that he said in Evangelium Vitae was, you need to reject models of male domination and bring this appreciation for the beauty of each individual back to the life of the church. We need to be able to um, just give, another, give others dignity just for being, just for existing. A good friend of mine, she always says, we are, um, we are human beings, not human doings. And I just think that really encapsulates this concept really well that the feminine aspect that the church needs so desperately, that the world needs so desperately right now is human beings, not human doings. Yeah, it reminds me of a line from John Paul II's letter to women where he thanks women, goes through this litany of thanks for the things that women have contributed to the world in such a beautiful way. And he wraps it up by thanking every woman for the simple fact of being a woman. And I think mm. that does fly in the face of, of what today's culture tells us, which is prove your worth, you know, tell, tell us why you should be here and why you should have yeah. space here in this conversation. And so just this reminder that who we are at the heart of uh, as women, as daughters of God, that we have dignity, I think is such a good reminder in today's world. 
And that honestly comes easier to women. If we look at just how we are created as man and woman, like it is within woman, you know, that this little helpless life first begins and we give it dignity and value by just allowing it to be, by just accepting it as it is and allowing it to grow with no expectation of giving us or doing anything for us. Like it's just, you know, our children, they can't do anything when they're young. Like they can't, I mean, we just love them because they are. Yes. Let's dive deeper into this when it comes to our ability to to physically bear life in the world. In your book, you write a lot about getting back to the roots of a simplified and holistic feminism, um, getting back to in touch with what feminism really means by paying attention to the unique qualities of only females and what our D- DNA teaches us about our experience as women today. I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about how an understanding of the distinctly feminine abilities of, of ovulating and gestating and lactating and, and how those help us understand what holistic feminism can look like in today's world practically. Yeah, I, I think there is something that has been lost you know, generationally in the last generation or so for women to really understand the essence of our, our femininity, of womanhood, of motherhood. And that's just the... Pu- <laughs> the pure idea that our physical bodies are our gift from a loving creator who knew exactly what he was doing and that baked into our DNA, baked into the function of the feminine function of our body, our ovulating, our gestating, our lactating, baked into that are very deep spiritual truths about what's going to bring us happiness, what's going to bring us joy, what's going to bring connection and peace to humanity. And if we just observe a female body, you know, if we just observe what makes it uniquely female, you know, you put a man's body and a woman's body side by side, obviously there's differences, but for the most part, you know, our circulatory system, our respiratory system, our digestive system, they're all very similar. Men and women's bodies function pretty much the same way, except for our reproductive systems, completely unique, completely beautiful. However, we live at a time where the female reproductive system is regularly just shut down for really no reason other than that we're supposed to do something. Um, We're not allowed to just be in our female body and to understand it and in love and embrace it. And if we lived in a culture where, you know, a holistic kind of feminism accepted and expected that a woman is wholly herself, like her whole body is functioning in its natural state, we would see that these functions, ovulation, gestation, and lactation, that they all have a very deep spiritual element to them in that they are oriented towards the other. They are oriented towards another person, towards relationship. And that really speaks to the nature and the need for women um, as peacemakers, as relationship builders, as community networkers. You know, they are the, we are really the, the thread that holds community together as, as women. And I think that there's just something that's been lost in our communities and in our culture and our society and our world because women have lost that sense of themselves. They do not understand our body was made for relationships every part of it is. Our our bodies don't even make sense on their own at all. You know, you look at a female body and what is the point of breasts? Like nothing. (laughs) What is the point of that? Nothing (laughs) except for the person it's meant to be in relationship with. And so very, you know, beautiful, deep spiritual truths that are really evident with our our physical body. And it's in understanding and loving and appreciating these physical bodies um, societally that we're going to start to see you know, sisterhood, trust, like we're going to see relationships redeemed and communities brought back together. Um, I know that might sound kind of like woo-woo, but 
I, I really truly believe it. This conversation has just reminded me of so many great lines from John Paul II. Another one that comes to mind while you're describing this is him talking about how the body and only the body reveals what is invisible, how our bodies as women are revealing things like you're talking these deep spiritual truths that are revealed only in our bodies. And so when we have things like artificial contraception, abortion, these things that are the products of different movements and revolutions that we've experienced in the past decades, how we're seeing how those are impacting our interior lives as women. They're not just impacting the way that we're interacting with our bodies, the way that our bodies are seen in a medical sense, um, but they're impacting the way that, yeah, that we interact with each other, our family and in our bigger community as well. And that's the grand kind of irony of this whole thing, because the movements, you know, the women's um, movement and feminism in the past has said, this isn't, this is a private issue. This is a woman's, you know, this is between a woman and her doctor or a woman. It's just her decision, her body, her choice. And thinking that it's just made in isolation, this decision that it doesn't affect anyone else. And I think that's probably one of the greatest lies that women have fallen for, that these decisions about our bodies, which are very other oriented, which are very relationship oriented, this lie that somehow it only affects us. No. It's affecting our entire world, our entire sense of openness and receptivity and hospitality and acceptance of one another. It is deeply changing how we interact when we deny the reality of how our body was created. In your new book, you have this fantastic line where you write that we must be fully ourselves with a healthy mind, body, and spirit in order for our unique creative capacities to flourish and for our true identities to come alive. So for women who are listening and maybe their mental, their physical, their spiritual health has kind of taken a backseat because of this emphasis that she's experienced both internally and externally on her to-do list, what she's doing, what she's producing for the world. How would you recommend diving into a better understanding of holistic health? And, and what are some daily practices that women can begin that truly honor their feminine dignity? Oh, such a good question. Oh, that's so good. First of all, just recognizing you're good. Just the very basic habit of looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, you know, your body, this vessel that you, that is you, you, it is not your mind and body separated. You are your body and you are good and your body is good and it deserves to be loved and cared for and understood. So that's the first step, like get in the habit of just affirming that God created man and woman. And then he said it was good. Uh, And then if something is good, which you are, which your body is, (laughs) you should take the time to honor it by understanding it. So if you're a young woman still in your cycles of fertility, you absolutely should be paying attention and charting your cycle, really observing, you know, your signs of fertility as they ebb and flow, you know, sign up to take a natural family planning or a a fertility awareness class. Absolutely. If you're a woman no longer in your fertile years, you know, understanding that you are still mothering culture and society in every way and that you still are good um, and, and really caring for and honoring your non-fertile body if you're postmenopausal, but recognizing that your body and what you do with it is still called to mentor, to mother, to create relationship. Those are things that our culture just needs so much. You know, honoring your feminine identity as a as a mother is so important, spiritual or physical. Not every woman will physically mother, but every woman must spiritually mother. We need that so much. You know, you mentioned this in the beginning, but I'd love to circle back as we wrap up our time together, because I think the Guiding Star Project and the work that you do there is such a beautiful, real world and tangible example of holistic feminism. So you founded the Guiding Star Project, nationwide family care centers, and you empower women with a whole life approach to healthcare that honors our bodies and minds. So could we dig back a little bit into that? And could you tell me a little bit more 
about what the mission of the Guiding Star Project looks like and how that work does integrate into this idea of holistic feminism. How it, are, how it came out in our centers and how it played out in real life activity, activism was, like I said, I was writing that thesis for my master's degree and I really landed on these, you know, three unique functions of a woman's body of our, you know, obviously we've said it like five times, I call them the female superpowers, you know, (laughs) ovulation, gestation, lactation, that those are just so core to what should be healthcare for women and what we should be focused on and talking with women about when we're truly caring for them in a holistic way. Those became the core services of Guiding Star Centers. So every one of our Guiding Star Centers provides um, care in fertility, family planning, childbirth, gestation, (laughs) and then lactation, of course, would be breastfeeding support and postpartum help. Mm -hmm. And then we added this fourth element, this fourth core service to all of our centers that really is the acknowledgement that we are other oriented, that we are always in relationship, and that very likely a woman has a family and likely she may have children if she's coming into our center. And so all of our centers also have a drop-in child watch as a requirement in addition to those core services and then just family life services and classes. So the work of Guiding Star Centers, um, I think it's spreading a worldview. Our centers are the distribution point of this worldview that, you know, women's bodies are not the problem. Our culture needs to embrace and love women's bodies, and we need to have an expectation of complementarity with men when it comes to family planning. And our centers focus a lot on bringing these issues to light in those specific points where women are you know, ovulating, gestating, and lactating. <laughs> For women who have been listening in and, and they want to pick up a copy of Holistic Feminism, where can they go to dive deeper into this book? We're just scratching the surface about the, the contents of that. But then also, where can they connect with you and the work that you do through the Guiding Star Project online. Yeah, so you can order the book through Lumen Press, and the website for that is www.lumenpress, which is L-U-M-E-N press.org. Um, you can probably just Google holistic feminism with a W, so whole holistic feminism. And it's also on Amazon, actually. You can get it on Amazon, although if you get it through Lumen Press, it supports the work of Guiding Star. Um, Guiding Star Project, you can find at um, Guiding Star project.com I think yeah and then I'm over on Instagram at holistic feminism you can connect with me there or Facebook or if you go to guiding star you can connect with me there as well fantastic so just one question for you in our time together tonight which is the question that I ask every woman who comes on the podcast and we've talked so much about the work of John Paul II and how much that has impacted your life as a Catholic woman so I'm really excited to learn more about how you live out the feminine genius in your everyday life, especially as a woman encouraging other women to find true joy and true wholeness. Oh gosh. I mean, I get to do it in so many different ways because of the work that I do, you know, as a, as a CEO running a a women's healthcare organization nationally, I get to, you know, speak to women all the time. And, and that's really maybe the natural gifting that I had that God gave me was to encourage and speak to women directly. But also the one other way that just really gives me joy and makes me feel whole, you know, besides being a, a wife and a mom to my kids is my work as a lactation consultant, I just find that so fulfilling. And there's something about just getting to sit with that new mom in that vulnerable moment, you know, when she's welcomed a new baby and she's relearning her identity, her identity of shifting from, you know, single woman or woman to mother and helping women understand the beauty of how God made us. Like that to me feels like my feminine genius is just like on fire. That helped I just love that. So Leah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast tonight. Thanks for spending the evening with me. Thank you for the work that you do through the Guiding Star Project and the work that 
I have gotten to know through your book, Holistic Feminism. It's just been a delight to sit down and get to know you a little bit better tonight. Thank you for giving opportunities to women like me. I mean, your feminine genius is obvious. It's alive in this way. So thank you for living yours out. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. Check out the show notes for my conversation with Leah over at letterstowomen.com or by scrolling down in your podcast player to browse links like where to buy Leah's book, Holistic Feminism, directly from Lumen Press and support the Guiding Star Project with your purchase. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you know a woman who would love listening to this episode, could you send it to her? Maybe it's your sister who studied women's and gender studies in college, a mom in your playgroup who struggles to overcome guilt, or any woman you know who's feeling overwhelmed. If the conversations that you hear on Letters to Women are something that you love recommending to friends and you are an Apple podcast listener, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast. Your comments help me shape future shows and they also tell other women what what you like about the show. In the next few episodes of the Letters to Women podcast, I'm going to focus on all things wedding and marriage. So if you're recently engaged, congratulations, or if you're maybe celebrating years of marriage like Joseph and I are this week, we're celebrating five years on Saturday. Or if you're not married at all, tune in for conversations on marriage and money, wedding planning, and entering into the sacrament of marriage as well. These episodes are designed to encourage you if you're in the vocation of marriage, but also to give advice on how to accompany the married couples in your life. I'm becoming more and more aware of how marriage is really under attack these days. So I wanted to spend some time, just a couple episodes before we start into Lent, really focusing in on what we can do to strengthen our own marriages and the marriages of our friends and our family around us. That is all I have for today's episode. I'm so excited to start into this new year with you as we continue these conversations on Catholic womanhood in today's world. But until next time, be not afraid.